I remember when I was very young, mom had decided to plant some flowers. And she had a little planter. I'd say it was a planter, but I'm pretty sure I know what it was. It was probably a milk carton, because uh, that was what we used for planters. It was a milk carton. I kind of remember her covering it with tin foil to make it look kind of pretty. But she had put some flowers in that, and she was kind of excited about seeing those flowers grow. And I was maybe three years old, and my mom was excited about flowers growing, and I wanted to be excited about flowers growing also, and I wanted to be helpful, because who, who doesn't want to be helpful? And before I continue with the story, you need to hear, I wanted to be helpful. That was my desire. Now you got to remember that at, at three years old, how helpful can you really be? And you also have to remember that at three years old, you can't really read yet, and all seeds pretty much look alike at three years old. And so I found a, a packet of seeds somewhere, and I thought, well, if she put a few seeds in there, then a few more ought to be better. You know, a few is good, more is better, right? There was a picture of a tomato on the front of the packet of seeds I found. I don't know what that was doing there, but I remember there was a picture of a tomato. So I, I planted a few more of those seeds in mom's container. And pretty soon, these plants started grow, growing up, and that's what they're supposed to do, right? Plants are supposed to come up and... And we thought, that's great, the flowers are growing, but something didn't look quite right. They didn't, they didn't look like flowers, and it was really hard to tell at first, but as they got bigger, it became very apparent. Somehow, mom's flowers had turned into tomatoes. Now, what on earth can cause that? And so there were a lot of questions, but how did these flowers become tomatoes? And it didn't take long before fingers started pointing my way, that they assumed that I had something to do with that. Because even if you try you can't get flowers to grow if you plant tomatoes. It doesn't work that way. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Another way of looking at that is if the, the Christian life should produce love. Love ought to be the natural outgrowth of our faith. But it also requires that we plant love in our lives. We see that passage of the, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. But before Paul gives us the fruit of the Spirit, he talks about the works of the flesh. And he says the works of the flesh are obvious. These are things that you recognize and you recognize where they are from. You recognize that they are not from God. You recognize that they are from your flesh. And he lists several of them. I won't list them all. But in the list, there is fits of anger. There is strife. There is jealousy. There is impurity. And, and if you plant those things in your life, you should not expect to grow love. If you plant anger in your life, you don't get love. The same with strife and jealousy and impurity. If you desire to see love in your life, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to plant the kind of seeds that produce love. And those aren't going to be your seeds. <laughs> those aren't going to be mine. Because as, as loving as we can be, we are imperfect and we know that we are imperfect. And if we try to grow love based just on what we know, we might end up with tomatoes. You know, it's going to completely go wrong. And so in our desire to be more loving, we need to go straight to the source. We're going to have to go to Jesus. If we want to pursue love, we need to pursue Jesus. We're going to look at Gala or excuse me, Ephesians today. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. If you want to follow along in those blue Bibles, in front of you, it's page 977, Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 14. And if you look at verse 14, 
Paul begins with these words. He says, for this reason, and we have to stop right there and say, wait a minute, for what reason? What reason are you talking about, Paul? And, and we would need to go back and look at the previous verses to find out what Paul has been talking about. What reason is he offering this prayer? And if you look at the verses that precede this, you see that Paul's been talking about the Gospel. He's been talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. The hope that we have. The hope for forgiveness. The, the hope for uh, eternity. The hope of peace with God. That's the Gospel. And Paul has said that this Gospel which he proclaimed, that, that he has suffered for the Gospel. He's been in prison for the Gospel. He's been in pain for the Gospel. The Gospel has cost him dearly. But he never wants us to lose sight of its importance. And so he prays there in Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 14. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length, the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The goal of this prayer is right there in verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you and I might have planted Jesus deep within ourselves. That we might have this connection to Jesus. And as Paul tells us about that connection, what he tells us is that it's Jesus Himself. It's Jesus who holds us to Himself. There's a statement there in verse 17 that I really want you to hear. He says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love. He uses two metaphors there in the last part of that verse. Being rooted and and grounded in love. One metaphor or the other ought to be familiar to you. Maybe both of them are familiar to you. We talk about rooted. We're talking about plants. We're talking about trees that are, that are rooted. They have firm roots that go deep into the ground and hold the plant in place. And in the same way, when he talks about being grounded, he's talking about the foundation of a building. It has to be solid. It has to be firm and unmoving if it's going to support what you're going to build on top of it. And he says that in Christ... In Christ, as Christians, your life finds its base, it finds its roots, it finds its foundation in Jesus' love. Now I want you to notice what he doesn't say here. He does not command us to be rooted in Jesus' love. This is not a command. Paul does not say, get busy rooting your life in Jesus' love. He, he doesn't say that. He doesn't chide us and, and, and goad us and say, why aren't you establishing your life in Christ's love? Why aren't you founding your life upon Christ's love? Instead, he acknowledges it as a completed fact. He says, you being rooted and grounded in Christ's love. It's been done for you. It, this, this part's already done. It is a true and completed fact. Jesus did it. Do you remember when Jesus said, it is finished? It, it was finished. This was, this was done for you. And what he's asking us to do is acknowledge the fact that Jesus' love holds us tightly. That Jesus has a firm grip on our lives. And that's important for us to acknowledge. That's important for us to understand because you and I have a tendency to get attached to other things. We, we kind of let other things become important in our lives. And, 
And we tend to get attached to, to other things besides just the love of Jesus. We let other things become the roots that hold us in place. Over in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, Hebrews tells us, see to it that no root of bitterness grows up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. See to it that no root of bitterness grows up. When other things hold on to us, whether they would be bitterness or anger or addiction or jealousy or strife, when we become rooted to those things, we find ourselves locked in a mindset that they provide and we find ourselves unable to escape. Roots are a priority for plants, right farmers? Roots are a priority for plants. You have to have roots. Last week we talked about pruning trees and how pruning produces more fruit. If you cut the branches, if you prune the trees, you get more fruit. You do not prune the roots though. If you prune the roots, if you cut the plant off from its source of strength, its source of nutrients, its, its source of stability, you cannot do that and expect growth. And in the same way, if I'm cutting myself off from my connection to Jesus, I've, I'm cutting my roots. And I do that by cutting myself off from His heart. I do that by cutting myself off from His attitude. I do that by cutting myself off from His people, from, uh, from, from His church. I can't expect myself to be more fruitful or loving if I'm cutting myself off from the root. It just doesn't work that way. Jesus has promised. He's promised He won't let us go. We have been rooted and, and established, rooted and grounded in His love. He won't let us go. We have to make sure that we will not let Him go. That connection is so important because Jesus' love challenges us. His love challenges us to grow in our own love. You know, I, I can say someone is a priority in my life. But if I never give them the opportunity to love me, then they're not really a priority. You know, I, I can say my family is a priority. But if I don't spend time with my family, if I don't spend time loving them and caring for them, and if they, if they don't love and care for me, they're, they're really not a priority. Connor reminds me of this every now and then, you know. Every now and then, I'm busy working on other things because other things are priorities. You know, I've got homework to work on, I've got this to do, I've got that to do, and Connor will come and grab me, and he will drag me into the other room. And he will take my glasses off, because he knows the glasses have to come off if we're going to do this. And we lay down, and we play, and we tickle, and we talk, and we hug, and, and I squeeze him, and we do all kinds of, of, of you know, tickly things. And, uh, and we do that because Connor has to be a priority. I, I would not want a day to come when Connor decided that he no longer wanted Dad to come and tickle him and play with him and have that kind of a, a role in his life. So if I'm, if I'm going to make them a priority, I, I have to spend time with them. I have to do those things. I'm afraid a lot of people, they wear a name tag that says Jesus, but, but it's just a name. Where's the hearts? Does his love connect them to him? Or, or is it merely his name? Do they know his love? And equally as important, is his love known through them? And so in verse 17, Paul tells us that Jesus' love holds us. We are rooted to him. We are grounded in him. That is an established fact, but established for what purpose? Why, would we, why have we been brought into this relationship with Jesus? He goes on to say that this has happened, that you may have strength, in verse 18, that you may have strength, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length, the height and the depth, 
and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You notice the dimensions that he gives to Jesus' love, the breadth and the length, the height and the depth. Some people look at that and you know what they see? They see the cross. They see the breadth and the length. They see the height and the depth. I think that's great. I think, I think you ought to see the cross whenever you get a chance. I think you ought to, you ought to see the cross in front of you and, and have it ever before you. But I think we also, should, we also should look at those dimensions as a challenge. Jesus' love reaches far beyond what we can imagine. It goes higher and deeper than we can imagine. Loving Jesus calls us to love like Jesus. And so I, I think we need to see a challenge there. Are we willing to love as wide as Jesus loves? You know, it, it's easy for us to love those that are close by us. It's easy for us to love those that we know really well and those who are here and, and, and those who, with whom we share so much. You know, we, we share a background. We share common interests. We, 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 share, we share so many things. But what about those people out there on the edges? What about those people who are kind of hard to love? That it requires quite a reach for me to love this person or that person. Are we willing to see the width and the breadth of Jesus' love? And if we considered the, the, the depths of his love, that, that his love is deep enough to rescue even the lowest. There have been some people in our world who they have allowed sin to degrade themselves, to, to corrupt themselves. They, there are some people who are in the grips of hell. Have we considered that those people are still worthy of the dimensions of Jesus' love? Is that seen in the way we reach out to them and the way that we love them? You know, if you're, if you're comfortable with the people that you love, if you're comfortable with the way that you love them, it's probably not Jesus' love. If you're comfortable with the way that you love and the, the people that you love, you know, that they're all right here, it's probably not Jesus' love. His love should challenge us. It should fill us. It should cause us to grow and expand in the way that we love others. And I know the response to that is, yeah, but that's hard. <laughs> and it is. It's hard. There are people out there who are very unlovely. But you being rooted and grounded in love, you are moved by the dimensions of His love. And the reality is that His love fills us beyond what we can do on our own. His love fills us beyond what we can do ourselves. One of the things that, that I'm very aware of as we start looking at the fruit of the Spirit and, I, and I've preached on the fruit of the Spirit many times. I've, I've preached the fruit of the Spirit before. I've listened to a lot of sermons from other people on the fruit of the Spirit. I have read several books about the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, one thing that I've noticed across the board on all of them, almost universally, when people talk about the fruit of the Spirit, the response is, yeah, but that's hard. You know, it's, it's hard to love everybody. It's hard to be joyful. Don't even talk to me about being patient. And kindness? Are you kidding? Do you know some of the people I have to deal with? I can't be kind to everyone. And you realize as we go through the fruit of the Spirit, all nine of them, that we will hit self-control in November. November is when we will talk about self-control. The month that we celebrate and give thanks by being completely out of control in the things that we eat, that's the month we're going to talk about self-control control every time the fruit of the spirit is mentioned people say this is hard this is impossible i can't do it i have yet to walk by an apple tree while it's growing in the springtime while the leaves are coming out and the 
little buds are coming out and the little green apples are coming on. I have yet to walk by an apple tree and hear it say, this is hard! I can't make apples today! I don't want to make apples for those people. I have yet to hear an apple tree that's, you know, fruit trees, they, they don't whine. Grapes whine. Oh, you are here. That's nice. I was getting worried that maybe I just showed up by myself today. You know, grapes whine, but that's, that's a little different. It's, it's what they do. Fruit trees, fruit is the natural product of a, of a fruit tree. And Jesus or Paul would not tell us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control if he didn't know that we could, we could do these things, that we could produce these things. Fruit produce fruit tree, or fruit trees produce fruit. That's, that's what they do. And they do it because they're connected to a source that holds them firm where they are and provides nutrients. They also do it because they have plenty of room to do it. They, they produce fruit because they've been given enough space to, to produce. Now, I, I am well aware that there are a lot of preachers who like to complicate things. There are a lot of preachers that like to complicate things in the Bible. And I know that I am well aware that we like to make you feel like a bunch of miserable sinners. Like you're never going to get this right. We, we like to do that. We live for that. But if it's God's will that you bear fruit, and it is, and if He has rooted you to His Son, and He has, and if He has given you dimensions that allow you to love as widely as you can, and even more, and as deeply as you can, and as high as you can, and even more, and He has, then if this stuff is hard, it's because we're making it hard. Because we've not understood how it works. And I can promise you, I don't understand how it works. I don't, I don't understand how it works, but I know it does. And it's amazing, it is glorious. Again, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length, the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul says the goal is to know this love that surpasses knowledge. <laughs> Great. That sounds impossible. Thanks a lot, Paul. But you're going to know this love that you can never know. It's, it's frustrating. But if you back up a little bit, there's something else that, that you see. How do we get there? How do we get to that point? He says in verse 18, together with all the saints. In other words, I don't achieve this on my own. You don't achieve this on your own. We don't get there by ourselves. We don't get there one by one. We get there together. It's, we're not intended to do this on our own. And I hope you see how essential that is because the best measure for our love is how we love together. The very best measure for our love is how we love together. Because until you get that, until you understand that, you're going to be frustrated. You're going to be frustrated because you don't do enough. You're going to be frustrated because you can't love enough. You're also going to be frustrated because those people aren't doing enough either. and They're not loving the way they ought to be. And we're going to be frustrated constantly but when we understand that we are rooted and grounded together and that we are called to love with one another, those difficult times, those times when it seems impossible, we hold firm to each other. We, we let each other show us the love of Christ and we grow in that. And I want to remind you, 
that this passage we're looking at today, this is a prayer. It is Paul's prayer for his friends at the church in the town of Ephesus. I mean, we know it's a prayer. You can tell it's a prayer. He started out there in verse 14. He says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. If you're going to bow your knees, it's obviously a prayer, right? We, we can tell it's a prayer there. Then we get to the last verse. We haven't got there yet, but if you get to the last verse, verse 21, the very last word in the last verse is, amen. It's obviously a prayer, right? You say amen when you're done praying. I say amen when I'm done praying. It, it's very obviously a prayer. But as a prayer, it's a reminder that this isn't about your power to love. This isn't about my ability to love. It's about what Jesus can do through us. And so as he wraps up his prayer in verses 20 and 21, Paul says, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think. Let me tell you something. I cannot do far more abundantly than all that you ask. And you cannot do far more abundantly than all that I think. So that's not about you, and that's not about me. Here we've, we've tried to grasp the concept of, of knowing a love that surpasses knowledge. That, that just sounds impossible. But here, what are we called to do? We're called to rely on Him, to rely on the One who can do far more abundantly than all that we can ask, or all that we could even think about asking. And so... Here's what I want to ask you to do this week. This prayer here in, in these verses, this prayer is on the front of your bulletin this week. And so before we even start asking the question, well, how do I love? How do I love this person? How do I love that person? Here's a real difficult situation. How do I love in that? Before we even start asking about how we are going to love, let's pray. Before we ask about how, to, how we're going to love, let's, let, let's pray that prayer. Keep that prayer in front of you this week. Pray it this week. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it in your Bible. Put it, put it on your mirror. Put it somewhere where you're going to see it and pray this prayer. Pray it. Pray this prayer for me. Pray it for me so that I can love better. I will pray it for you. And then the next step is simply to let Him love us and to simply let Him love through us. Let's make this our prayer so that we can know how to love. I remember mom, when she finally figured out that they were tomatoes coming up in her flowers, I think mom was a little frustrated about that. And she took the container and she threw it out on the side of the, out, alongside the house, just along, out there in the, kind of the, the, by the foundation of the house, just threw it all away. And those tomatoes kept coming up. <laughs> and every year, there was a reminder that Brett had screwed up and planted the wrong plant in that planter because year after year, those tomatoes volunteered to come up. And every year, there were tiny little tomatoes on that plant. There may have been a time in your life when you planted anger. And there may have been a time in your life when you planted bitterness, but that doesn't mean that's what has to grow. That's what has to keep growing. It's perfectly acceptable and wonderful to understand that what you plan in your life today, God can continue to produce a crop that will amaze you 
something completely different than what you were able to do on your own. And I think that's a wonderful thought. Let's, let's stand together and pray. Father, we thank You that in Your love, You never let us go. You've rooted us to Yourself. You're holding us tightly by Your love and providing a firm foundation for our lives. Father, as we, as we welcome Your Son into our hearts, give us grace to make room for His love. There are people who seem so far away from You. People who, who are far away from, from what we know, what we understand. There are people who have sunk so low in sin. We want to know the kind of love that You have that reaches out to them no matter how far away they seem or how deep they've fallen. Lord, we will spend eternity trying to understand that love. And on our own, we can't do it. But together, loving each other and loving You, we have a chance to explore the amazing dimensions of Your love. And when we know we're going to fail, when we know that our love falls short, remind us that it's You that we rely on. We always rely on. It's Your love. It's Your presence in us. And so to You, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, according to Your power that is at work within us, to You be glory in the church and in Your Son, Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.